Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. Hello, hello. Thank you for joining me this Tuesday, November 1st. I am so glad we are together today. Did you happen to catch uh, Rachel Maddow last night? A friend uh, shared part of her, you know, she always does these big 15, 20 minute opening essays. And um, last night, her essay was pretty straightforward. You know, in this election, you have a choice between democracy or violence and force. Because the at the national level and at the state level, the Republicans who are openly campaigning on the fact that election results shouldn't count. What's the alternative? If they're saying election results shouldn't count or should be easily tossed aside, then your vote doesn't matter. You know what, kids? That's what democracy is. It's where we vote on stuff. We vote for people, the people we want in office, and the people we don't want in office lose. And they either figure out why they lost and come back a little different, or they don't come back at all. Because democracy is about voting. Democracy is about making choices. There are Republicans, an astounding number of Republicans running for state offices and national offices who say that the election results don't matter. Carrie Lake, the have you ever seen how have you noticed Carrie Lake, the Republican former TV anchor who's decided she should be governor in Arizona? She is always in soft focus. Right away, that bugs me. Okay, you know, maybe if you're doing a, a, a photo shoot for the author photo in your new book, maybe you take a little bit of a license. But every interview she does, it's soft focus, like she's afraid, you know, because she, I don't know, you know, I mean, the, the way people make fun of TV anchors, that there are just, you know, blow-dried talking heads, which I don't know if it was ever true. It's certainly not true now. But um, that's where she seems to come from. She has said that if she doesn't win, that she's not certain that she'll accept the results. She's not. This is woman running for governor. This isn't some looney tune running for assistant dog catcher. This woman is running for governor, and she says openly and clearly that she is not sure she will accept the results of the election if she loses. That's what Rachel Maddow was talking about last night. This election is more just than just about retention of judges or making sure we amend the Constitution to get the Workers' Rights Amendment. You know, there's always important, there are always important issues on the ballot. Sometimes there are referendum that are important, judge races that are important. But something else is on the ballot a week from today. Democracy. A number of people in a number of states running for state and national office have said 
that they don't think votes should count. Well, they structure it all different kinds of ways, but the bottom line message is they don't think your vote should count. If our votes don't count, this is, this is what Rachel said last night. What's the alternative? What is the alternative? She concluded that the alternative was force and violence. Is it just going to be um, the people whose supporters have the most guns, that they're the ones who get into office? Is that how we're going to decide elections going forward? Think about this. We think sometimes that we're a little bit safer here in Illinois, but we are one election away. Each and every time we're one election away from things changing. Look at our states surrounding us. Look at the states surrounding us and see how they have changed. When people with far-right ideas get elected into office, they implement those beliefs. I know, it seems obvious, right? But I think sometimes, because Republicans know that their core beliefs are not mainstream, they're radical. So once they win their primaries by being the most radical of the radical, then they try to they try to reform their images. They don't reform who they are. They still believe that stuff. They still will implement that stuff. It's like Darren Bailey. Well, you know, would you um, would you get rid of uh, a woman's right to an abortion? Well, that's the law of the land, and I couldn't do it even if I wanted to. That's not an answer. Yes, the answer, Darren Bailey, is yes. If you were given the opportunity to make abortion illegal in the state of Illinois, you would. But they know that's not a position that the majority supports. So this is why you see like Republicans, like once they win their primary, there have been people called out a couple of different Republicans who um, cleaned up their websites. Uh, after, after they won their primaries, suddenly the whole section of their website that talked about how um, they want to get rid of abortion, those portions of their website disappeared. They weren't altered. They weren't softened. In many cases, they were just removed, flat out removed. Because they know, they know that the majority of people do not support their ideas, their policies. They, uh, at some level, understand that a majority of the people really think votes should matter. That's why they couch it in language like, well, you know, if the Secretary of State has any reason to doubt whether certain votes were legitimate, the Secretary of the State by themselves should have the power to just throw those votes out. Guess whose votes are going to get thrown out? Those people, my guess, if I had to speculate, somehow in uh, those states, it would be the urban areas. It would be the black and brown areas. It would be any area that a Republican secretary of state felt was likely to go majority Democrat. And they would hide behind these regulations. Well, you know, I mean, Donald, some of Donald Trump's people are still trying to find a way to justify their whole claim 
that the 2020 election was stolen. They've lost over 60 court cases. Even diehard Republicans who have been tasked with investigating this have come up with nothing. So do they make an announcement at one point? Gosh, you know, guys, 60 court cases and dozens of investigations later, we haven't found any fraud. No, Mm -mm. no, that's not what they're saying, even though they have been repudiated in these investigations time and time again. They never reach a point where they say, you know what, maybe this isn't true. Maybe, maybe Joe Biden is the legitimate president. Have you heard anybody that was pursuing some of these investigations come out and say, you know what? We didn't find anything, so I'm guessing I'm guessing we were mistaken. Mr. Trump, I think that you did indeed lose this election. Have you heard that press conference? Because if you have, please let me know, because I must have missed it. So this election, you have a choice. Do you want the person with the biggest stick to decide who gets into office and who doesn't? Or do you want your votes to decide who gets into office and who doesn't? Because if you would like democracy to continue, democracy, that practice where we vote on issues where we vote on potential new taxes or levies and where we vote on who we want in office and who we don't, where we vote, where we vote, where we choose. This isn't even surreptitious. There are many Republicans. Rachel Maddow says she believes it's a majority of the Republicans who are on ballots in for state office and national office, a majority of them are all saying in one way or another, votes shouldn't count. Votes shouldn't count. So then, what do we have? What is our system of government if votes don't count? I beg of you, if you are in that group, you didn't request a mail-in ballot, you haven't looked into where... Early voting is taking place. It's You kind of think you'll get around to it, but you're not really sure. Because, you know, today you're so busy. Yesterday you meant to, but you were kind of busy yesterday, too, and it got away from you. Make this a priority. Make this a priority. When we turn out to the polls in numbers, we win over the crazy people. We keep the crazy people at bay. There are more crazy people on the ballot than I have seen in my lifetime, and I'm old. It is a tsunami of crazy, and it is everywhere you turn. I beg of you, I know that you've got to pick the kids up and that they have sports, or maybe you have two or three jobs and you got to get the grocery shopping done, and when the heck are you going to vote? I don't know. I just know you have to. Remember that poll I told you about that Mike Crute was going on about a few weeks ago in Wisconsin? Of the people who said they were definitely going to vote, they, were gonna re- they are planning to re-elect Ron Johnson. Arguably, 
one of the craziest senators in this entire U.S. Senate. But when the pollsters surveyed people who said they might vote, they might not, Mandela Barnes won by 15 percentage points, which in Wisconsin, Wisconsin, and you generally win an election in Wisconsin by 1%, sometimes less than 1%. Wisconsin is a real state where every vote matters. They are famous for their close elections in Wisconsin. The people who said they might vote, they might not, that group has the power to put Mandela Barnes in the Wisconsin Senate seat that's open. That group has the power to do it. So what's it going to take? You need a ride to the polls? You think there's, you think there's, you think that if you call the Wisconsin Democratic Party and say, you know, I'd really love to vote, but my car's broken down and I can't get to the polls, you think they're not going to send somebody over to your house to take you? I suspect they will, because they understand. They understand how close elections are in Wisconsin, and they understand that there's a huge segment of the population, a much larger segment of the population than I wish, that is thinking, well, you know, if it's, you know, if I find a minute, I'll vote. You know, if, if I have an extra... You know, maybe maybe on the way to work, if I'm able to leave the house a little bit early, maybe I'll vote then. You know, like I'm only going to vote if it's if I find that suddenly it's a convenient thing to do. This is not the election to have that attitude. If you have friends, family, neighbors, work colleagues that have that attitude. Please talk to them. You don't have to tell them what to do. Just tell them what's at stake. Do you want, in the next election, do you want your vote to matter? Because a lot of the people on the ballot are saying votes shouldn't matter, that there should be people in power who can throw out the votes literally on a whim. What kind of world do you want to live in? I'm going to take a break. I'm going to be back with more right after this. Take Joan Esposito live, local, and progressive with you on the go by using the TuneIn app on your phone. Just search for WCPT 820. This is WCPT 820, where facts matter. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Every weekday afternoon from 2 to 5 p.m. on WCPT 820. We have been talking about the election. That's no surprise. (laughs) I know, I know. Uh, Another week, but we know it's crunch time. It's crunch time. We have no choice. You know, I have to keep explaining over and over again because not everybody listens to my pearls of wisdom every second of the day. So I have to I have to keep offering you my pearls of wisdom. So the pearl of wisdom right now is when you get your ballot here in the state of Illinois, Yes to the Workers' Rights Amendment. If you live in Cook County, you can decide uh, if you want to give a little extra money to the Forest Preserves. They haven't asked for a raise since like the 1930s. Uh, you know, it's up to you. If you are in the 2nd District or in the 3rd District, 
you must vote Democratic for the race for Illinois Supreme Court that is on your ballot. It will you will either be voting for Mary Kay O'Brien or Elizabeth Liz Rochford. This is critical because if we get a Republican conservative Supreme Court, every Republican legislator, even though they're in a minority, they're going to file lawsuits. They're going to start trying to overturn a lot of our abortion laws. And if we have a partisan Republican Supreme Court, they're going to find ways to do it. A woman's right to choose is on the ballot. It's just camouflaged as a Supreme Court race. Okay, let's go to the phone lines. Jim is calling in from Chicago. Hey, Jim, how are you today? Hi, Joe. This morning, I like the song I can think of is Barbara Strange. That's had a clear day. That's a beautiful song. It's a song. <laughs> I wish it was clear. Uh, but I, I, I recall Stevens was in an interview, and he's talking about civics for kids. Uh, and it just reminded me, when I was in school, civics was pounded in my head for about two years. Just like phonics was pounded in my head to help me to read. It helped me immensely to read, and civics, of course, helped me to vote. And uh, he mentioned that it's lacking, and, you know, he's, all we could do is vote our behinds off to, to to try to uh, mitigate this insanity that's going on. The Republicans are so extreme now that uh, you can't even tune in uh, without having your blood pressure shoot through the ceiling. Uh, so anyway, uh, I hope you got somebody else doing the traffic. I hope I, I, I picture you. Would hey, hey, help. are you denigrating my personalized traffic report yesterday? I was so good. They replaced me in no, one day. Yeah, I know, but you're so busy. I mean, I, you answer. You're so busy. I, I can't imagine. I, you know, I just pictured you two of you up in a helicopter. I'm like, my God, you got enough. You got a busy enough show. Thank thank you, Jim. And thank you back at the studio for Andy, to Andy Miles for doing traffic today. Let's go back to the phone lines. Uh, ben is calling in from Chicago. Hey, Ben, thanks for the call today. Hey, always good to talk to you, Joan. I got to tell you, I got a little bit of a chuckle when you said, uh, you know, in my lifetime, blah, blah, blah. And you said, and I am old. We all know that's not true, but that was that was a good laugh. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people are still, uh, you know, confused as to who to vote for, you know, uh, you know, the direction I called in a couple of weeks ago and asked if there was any direction. And, you know, I, I received something in the mail from cookcountydems.com, um, mm-hmm. um, and, and it's really helpful. They have a sample ballot, uh, you know, that they also sent. And I went online to that website, uh, and if you click on... I think it's on candidates. Then, uh, they will also show you that that uh, sample ballot. Uh, so I ah. thought it might be helpful for some people who. And where did you find that? There. Where did you find that again, Ben? Well, this was actually a flyer that I got in the mail, and I had also, okay. uh, you know, I work I work in a union or for a union. Um, well, I, I belong to a union, and um, the people that they had endorsed were the people that I was actually uh, going to vote for myself. So it fell right in line. And when I got this Cook County Dems, it also fell right in line. Uh, so, uh, you know, from the website, it's got a lot of good information on there. I went to it. And again, uh, you know, it's got a sample ballot. If you click on the link at the top, it says candidates. And uh, and then I think there's another link that will take you to a sample ballot. 
that has who they suggest you vote for. Interesting. Uh, that is a great idea. Um, and and as we've determined before, if you print out a guide, you can you can take papers. One of our listeners who uh, is an election judge said that um, they frown on people using their phones in the fo- voting booth and you don't want to do anything to screw up your vote or have your vote challenged. But you can take as much paper in there as you want. So print out. Oh, the Bar Association recommendations. This ballot sounds like a great thing to print out because I don't know. I live in Cook County. And when my mail in ballot came, I was telling somebody the other day it was I felt like I was taking an SAT test. It was huge. There's these long pieces of paper printed on both sides. And I was like, oh, my God. You know, I don't know if you were just walking into the voting booth and got hit with that. You know, I don't know that you'd know what to do because, I mean, it took me a few days to figure out, you know, to read everything and think about everything and look up the judges and all that good stuff. So thanks for the call. That is an excellent recommendation, Ben. I appreciate it very much. Also, a couple of little quick notes be uh, before we wrap up. I, I told you about this yesterday. I want to remind you again that um, tomorrow... Jeff Tweedy is going to be playing at the Egyptian Theater in DeKalb, Illinois. And you're thinking to yourself, if you didn't hear me yesterday, well, Joan, it's interesting. You're giving concert updates now. Here's the reason why. If you volunteer for two canvassing shifts or two phone baking shifts to help Lauren Underwood, you can access VIP tickets for this event tomorrow. Lauren Underwood has been targeted by the Republican Party She won her last election by a pretty slim margin, and they think that they can derail her. Okay, let's prove them wrong and, you know, uh, get to see Jeff Tweedy uh, on a VIP pass. What could be better? We're going to take a break. We're going to get started with some of our political guests. We're going to talk to Jan Schakowsky a little later, but uh, we're going to start with uh, Kelly Cassidy right after this. Facebook. Message us. Instagram. Follow us. Twitter. Tweet us. They keep me connected. Let's get social on the socials. WCPT 820. Listen to the Tom Hartman radio program every weekday from 11 to 2 right here on WCPT 820, where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. I am pleased to be joined by Representative Kelly Cassidy. You know, I mentioned Jeff Tweedy doing an event tomorrow night. Well, uh, if you happen to find yourself in the vicinity of North Broadway in Chicago tonight, there is something going on this evening at 7 o'clock at the Baton. Have you ever been to the Baton? The Baton Show Lounge. Kelly Cassidy is going to be there. Jan Schakowsky is going to be there. Uh, it is going to, it is going to be my, my kind of political event. Uh, Kelly Cassidy is here now to talk about it. By the way, it's 18 and older only. Um, how are you, Kelly? I am great. Thank you. And I couldn't help but laugh because this, this event has been very, very fun to put together. Um, I, I, it just makes me love our part of the city so much more uh, that, that folks are excited about this. So what's going to happen tonight? So tonight we are hosting Drag Them to the Polls for our Get Out the Vote 
uh, rally. You know, it's pretty common. Political organizations have get out the vote rallies. But, you know, we're a special part of the city with a great wealth of talent. And so we decided this year to to host it at the legendary Baton Show Lounge, um, which is one of the the premier uh, drag performance spaces in the country, to be honest. And so we're really lucky to have it as part of our community. And we decided it would be fun to to inject a little uh, a, a little happiness into this election <laughs> cycle and invite folks out to have a good time while we get fired up to finish strong uh, between now and Tuesday. Because that's really at this point in the election cycle, it's about making sure people don't burn out, making sure they stay energized, making sure they stay focused, making sure they still um, have the um, ability to reach out to their friends and neighbors and try to get as many people to vote as possible. Um, And man, I've got to tell you, I don't know that there I've that there have been too many places that I have gone to see, whether it's plays or musicals or performances. There aren't too many places I can think of where I have left in such a great frame of mind as those times when I have been to the Baton. It is just such a night of fun and love and, and, and hooting and hollering. Um, and the baton moved, you know, uh, it's uh, at 4713 North Broadway now, folks. Uh, they moved out of their old location. They're at 4713 North Broadway in Chicago. Doors open for this at 630. The program starts at 7. Um, it is free to get in, but you have to RSVP, right? Join us. Pardon me? Yes, RSVP is important. Space is limited. We are going to have some, yes. some really exciting surprise uh, uh, appearances as well. So we, we are, we confirmed it, 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 this started with, with, uh, Congresswoman Schakowsky and, and me, um, as our idea to try to get folks riled up a little bit. And, um, we're now being joined by Democratic Party of Illinois Chair Lisa Hernandez, uh, Secretary of State, uh, nominee Alexi, uh, Ginolius. And, um, who knows who else might show up? You got to be there to find out. Um, how do people RSVP? So there is um, there there is a link that's gone out with the invitations. Um, if folks go to um, the Democratic Party of the 49th Ward Facebook page, uh, that's probably the quickest path to the uh, to the link, um, and we can make sure that we that we get you hooked up. Um, we are getting close to capacity at this point. Um, so, so best to get those RSVP and RSVPs in as quickly as you can. Uh, anybody who has trouble finding it can always email me at ward49cassidy at gmail.com and we'll make sure we get you hooked up. Whose idea was it to title it Drag Them to the Polls, Get Out the Vote Rally? <laughs> that person needs a raise. I want you to find that person on your staff or Jan's staff who named this rally, and I want you to give them a raise in their salary. Well, it was actually mine, and I kind of Uh, passed it off as a joke. Um, And here we are. (laughs) (laughs) And since since committeeman is an unpaid position, I will double my salary uh, as a result of that. Um, (laughs) Triple it. What the heck? Just triple it. Figure out I, yeah, I should triple it. That's what I'll do. Thank you. With your, with your endorsement, I shall triple my, my committee person's salary. 
Yes, absolutely. I, I have to ask you, because this topic came up, I was talking with Eric Zorn a couple of weeks ago, and I'm not even sure how this came up, but we got on the subject of human composting. And I know that that is a, something that it, it's legal in, I think it's legal in California, it's legal in Washington State, and you are working to make it legal here. I have to talk to you about that. I just find that so fascinating. It has really been fascinating to work on this. And and really, it's one of the things that is the best part of this job is that opportunity to to learn about new things that you probably would not have a reason to be exposed to otherwise. Um, it is legal in a handful of states. Um, Colorado recently did it. Vermont, I believe, did it last session. Um, and we, I, I first introduced the bill last year and ran into some some fear of change, I would say, from, mm-hmm. from folks in the established industry. Um, so we spent this year doing research, talking to folks in, uh, that are doing this work in other parts of the country, talking to the folks doing funeral type things here. Um, I feel like we're getting close and I plan to push it for passage um, in, in the spring session. Um, and truly, it is it is about reducing your carbon footprint in every possible way you can. And, you know, the, the funeral industry as it exists, even with so-called greener options, still pretty um, pretty pretty carbon intense or pretty, pretty um, environmentally impactful. You know, whether you're talking about a, you know, concrete lined grave where you're pumped full of chemicals and put into a casket with lots of materials involved in the creation of it, Cremation, it, you know, there's, there's, that's just literally straight into, you know, in, into the air, um, and and all the power and energy that goes into that. Um, there's a new form of cremation that's referred to alkaline hydrosis, um, which is water cremation, um, and and that's kind of presented as one of the greener approaches or the, 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 that are, you know, a, a better option for folks who are concerned about the environmental impact. Um, but honestly, that involves two to three hundred gallons of superheated water that dissolves the, 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 the body. And then it just goes into the wastewater system. Which hmm. seems kind of I do not want to end up in the water treatment plant. Kelly? No, it kind of freaks me out. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. That part freaks me out. Um, and, and so this is really just creating another option for folks and giving them an opportunity to really continue to make a positive impact. Um, you know, you're, it results in a great deal of very rich compost, um, at which, you know, folks are free to use all of it themselves. Most of the providers um, that I've spoken to actually, you know, get, you get a symbolic amount of the compost and then they partner with land conservation organizations to make use uh, of, of the materials to remediate land. Um, they're doing a lot of that in the fi- in the wildfire areas, actually, um, where they're using that to, to speed up the regeneration of the soil there. Huh. That's um, because I think when people first hear about this, they think, well, my God, I don't want to eat crops grown, you know, with grandma's compost. But I wouldn't mind, you know, it's a little bit of a a, maybe it's a little bit more palatable to think that, you know, in an area of forest that's been burned out, you know, that this kind of this kind of compost could help those areas 
uh, come back a little a little faster. And and you know I wouldn't I wouldn't mind you know fertilizing a, a tree or or heck even a, a even a, a bush that would attract pollinators. You know I've always been because I've I've always thought the whole. Um, burial industry, you know, I mean, how much land do we want a, a lot to that kind of thing? And I've always thought about cremation, but now that I'm, now that I'm reading about human composting, I, I may have to alter my will. I don't know. It, I have to, um, pretty awesome. you, first you have to get the law passed no, though. We've, we've got to get the law passed. Um, there is no discernible DNA whatsoever in the compost. Um, they're depending on what state you look at. Some states actually explicitly prohibit the use for food crops. Other states don't. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, the reality is you probably don't want to be using it for commercial crops. Um, but, uh, you know, folks that want to fertilize the rose bushes to remember grandma by, by all means. Um, yeah. And and I definitely I, I actually just executed a new will in which I made clear that this is my desire. And if we don't pass the law, if it's affordable, ship me somewhere that we can. Um, yeah. So uh, hopefully we will have passed the law before that will goes into it needs to be put to use. And I think it's just an idea that people need to get comfortable with. I have a willow tree uh, in my backyard and it was started with a single piece of corkscrew willow that my uncle rooted. It came from my mother's funeral. From one of the arrangements was filled with dry corkscrew willow. He took it home. He rooted it. He sent it to me when it was had sufficient roots. I planted it. And in my backyard, I now have what is probably a 30-foot corkscrew willow tree that we all in the whole family, we refer to it as the grandma tree. Um, and it reminds so us of her every time we see it. And it's it's not that great a leap from what you're talking about to to that kind of a thing. Absolutely. Anyway, Absolutely. I want to talk to you about some of the other things, the other committees you're on and some of the other work you're doing. We need to take a quick break. I am talking to Representative Kelly Cassidy. We're going to be back with more right after this. There's no excuse to miss Joan Esposito. It's number one on my stereo. Live, local, and progressive. You can listen to her daily at WCPT820.com on your computer or phone. You're listening to WCPT820 because facts matter. Attention, everyone. Don't turn that dial. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, returns right now on WCPT 820. I'm joined by Representative Kelly Cassidy. Would you like to meet her? Well, you can tonight at the Baton Show Lounge, 4713 North Broadway. Doors open 630. The program begins at 7 p.m. It is a free program, but you do have to you do have to RSVP. And she said that it's getting kind of crowded. So go to the 49th Ward Facebook page or go to the pages for Kelly Cassidy and you can sign up. It is drag them to the polls. It is just a celebration of all of the work you have done this election cycle and uh, taking us into the home stretch. Uh, Kelly Cassidy does more than just, you know, organize <laughs> drag shows. Uh, she's also part of the working group on reproductive rights in the Illinois legislature. And uh, tell me what work you guys are doing right now on that. Absolutely. Um, 
as chair of the the working group on uh, reproductive rights and the Dobbs decision, we have spent the last uh, few months uh, meeting with stakeholders across the spectrum, uh, patients, providers, support uh, organizations. Um, we, We met with a group of folks that are organizing private pilots to move patients around the country. It's really incredible to see the degree to which folks are getting creative to um, ensure that folks maintain access uh, to, to reproductive uh, health care services. Um, and we are working on a package of legislation to ensure that Illinois can remain a safe haven uh, for patients seeking care, both the folks uh, that live here and the folks who are forced to flee to our state to get the care they need because their state has abandoned them. Um, it, it's, been a, it's been a really uh, amazing experience talking to legislators in some of those hostile states, talking to legislators in similarly, similarly situated states about uh, the ideas that they have and are working towards. Um, and we anticipate uh, that we'll be uh, putting forth a package that, uh, that aims to provide protections for patients and providers and families and supporters um, that ensures that we do everything we can to expand access um, and, and create opportunities um, for, for providers who want to come into the state to, to perhaps move their practices from states that have, have shut them down. Um, so it has been, uh, it, it's been a busy couple of months and, and we're, we're still, still working hard, but, uh, we, uh, we're, we're on track to have some, to have the best abortion laws in the country here in Illinois. One of the things Governor Pritzker said he was concerned about was he wanted the legislature to enact whatever ordinances, laws, you know, provisions, policies that were necessary to protect Illinois doctors. Should somebody come from a state where abortion is outlawed or criminalized and they come to Illinois and they get an abortion, he wanted to make sure that there was a no way that that Illinois doctor could be taken into custody and charged with crimes from the state where the woman woman came from. It sounds yeah. like a ridiculous, extreme scenario, but it's really not. Oh, it's not at all. I mean, you know, we saw it with the case of the, the child from Ohio that had to go to Indiana, and then they tried to go after the Indiana doctor's license. This is no longer a hypothetical. Um, so, yes, we need to make sure that we are protecting them in every way we can. That means ensuring that their licenses are protected from adverse actions in other states for actions that aren't illegal here. We want to make sure that they are protected, as you put, from um, being, being arrested. Um, we want to make sure they have civil legal protections as well. We really need to ensure that we are building out an infrastructure that um, contemplates all the different ways that folks are, are creatively seeking to terrorize um, and and be, be prepared to respond to that. Realistically, what is the time frame for this package, best case scenario? Um, I, I expect that we will be dealing with this in January in the veto or in the um, lame duck session. Um, the the House rules um, and the timeline, frankly, you know, six days of veto session is kind of a, a minimal amount of time. Um, but also under the House rules, for anything to have an immediate effective date um, between the end of May and the end of the calendar year, you would have to have 
uh, a supermajority for an immediate effective date. But once January 1 hits, we can pass these things with a simple majority and have a, a clearer path. What will happen in Illinois if we lose the two Supreme Court seats to Republicans? It's game over. Everything I've ever passed is going to be challenged and overturned. It's really that simple. That's not hyperbolic at all. That is exactly the game plan that is lifted straight from the the Illinois GOP's game plan. If you're a fan of the Reproductive Health Act or our ban on conversion therapy or our our marriage equality law, that's what's on uh, on the ballot this next week, right now, since we're in early voting. Um, that is exactly what's on the ballot in those communities where we are voting on those two Supreme Court races. Um, it, it cannot be overstated how important it is that we win those races. It's been reported in many, if not most, states that among those who are newly registering to vote, the majority in state after state after state are women And yet I hear the pundits say, oh, well, you know, everybody was really upset about Roe v. Wade, but that was months ago. Now it's all about gas prices. I'm not so sure that's true. I mean, just because somebody isn't, you know, showing up uh, in a, a federal plaza with a placard every day and protesting, I suspect women have not forgotten about this. Kelly, what do you think? Um, I, I hope that you're right. I, I think that there is a little bit of, um, you know, maybe projection uh, from the folks that are writing that, you know, it's no big deal. Um, I, mm. I think that that is wishful thinking, uh, uh, wishful thinking, maybe, um, you know, I, I, it remains to be seen. I know that here in Illinois, folks remain fired up. I know here in Illinois, um, there is a, an immense sense of of relief and gratitude that we have the laws on the books that we do have, but an awareness of how tenuous it is, um, you know, just looking at all of our, our neighboring states and the, the risks that people in those states are facing, I think is something that folks are very much aware of. Um, my, my, my friend Hannah Mizell uh, had an, a really great um, uh, uh observation and looking at uh, some some news on um, trends in terms of is the state heading in the right direction or the wrong direction. And we saw a swing towards the right direction. And one of the pieces that she pointed out is that folks had an opportunity to look around at the, the states around us and realize how fortunate we are um, to, to be here and not uh, facing some of these issues uh, that, that we're seeing in other states. Hannah, Hannah is great. Um, I haven't had her on the radio for a while. I'll have to reach out to her. I know she's pretty busy these days, but maybe she can uh, spare a, a little bit of, of time for us. What else are you working on that you'd uh, that you'd like to tell our listeners about? Well, you know, I think that, that ensuring that we are um, protecting access to reproductive health care and gender affirming care is going to be top of mind, um, even as we head into the next session. Um, but, you know, we've got a lot of other pieces, a lot of other irons in the fire. I've got a bill that I'm hoping will move in veto session that will remove Illinois' barrier to name change for folks with felony backgrounds. Something that has a huge impact on the trans community in particular. Human trafficking survivors and domestic violence survivors as well are impacted by this. Um, so, so it's well past time that, that Illinois, uh, we are one of, I think, believe only 13 states with restriction like this, but 
that we put it back in the hands of judges who can can make sure that folks can live safely and, and live their full authentic lives. So I'm hopeful that that gets passed in the veto session. We passed it out of the House in the spring. Um, but we'll also be working on some pedestrian safety uh, laws for next year as well, um, brought about by concerns raised from constituents uh, who just want to be able to walk their kids to school safely. Uh, you know, we've seen a we've seen a lot in the news, both for bicyclists and pedestrians, um, that that you know that it, it isn't safe out there. And and we, as as both local and state governments, um, we're obligated to get this right. Um, so I'm excited to work with um, the Active Transit Alliance and and my constituents to to help advance better safety measures for pedestrians and bicyclists. So those are those are kind of some of the big things I'm looking at, and and there's always something that pops up at the uh, at the end mm-hmm. of the day that that needs doing. But um, those are the those are the highlights as we head into next session. Just um kind of a, a behind the scenes look for I know you said the veto session is January. We all know it's short, six days. How does that work? I mean, do you guys? I mean, you know to. Do you guys get together ahead of time and have like Zoom meetings or because I would, you know, six days isn't much to to really bring a lot of these measures for a vote and and get the votes taken. So realistically, how many how many things do you think could get passed in the in the veto session? And do you streamline the process by trying to get together on your own ahead of time? Okay, and okay, well, this, yeah, we got this, these votes on this. Okay, we can bring this one up real fast. Or do you have to wait till the veto session starts to do that kind of canvassing? Um, it's a little bit of yes and. <laughs> um, so, you know, in, for, for veto session, we actually have a week in November and a week in December. And, and those are usually, you know, they're meant to be emergency items, um, things that were vetoed, things that just didn't get finished in, in the regular session. So there's a lot of stuff that we sent over from the House to the Senate, the Senate sent to us that we all just ran out of, of runway for. So folks with those bills are working their roll calls right now. So even though my bill, um, I've got two bills over in the Senate, um, I'm working with those Senate sponsors to, to try to make sure that they're queued up and ready to go. And so that's, that's kind of how the sponsors work it when you've got a bill that, that, that's out there that you need to make sure is ready to go. Um, and then as we head into lame doc starting after January 1, that's a little bit, you know, we will have been together in November and December. So we've had a chance to, to meet and talk a little bit more about what the agenda will be. That's a little more um choreographed, if you will. We'll, we'll have mm-hmm. a better sense of what's going to come up there. And lame duck tends to be when some pretty big things happen. It's when civil unions was passed, for example, back in 2010, I believe. Um, so there, there's, or 2011. Yeah. Um, so so there's, there's, there's lots of work that goes on in advance um, to, to those pieces. But um, the veto session coming up in November or December is a good opportunity to get the lay of the land um, and, and move those bills that are almost there, mm-hmm. um, that just need one more oomph over the finish line. Well, Kelly, I have to wrap this up. We have to do the news. And then your partner in drag, Jan Schakowsky, is going to join us after that. Uh, again, and I'll tell you this when Jan is on. It's tonight at the Baton, 4713 North Broadway. Doors open 630. Program begins at 7. It's free, but you do have to register. So go to the Facebook page for the 49th Ward. Kelly, thanks so much for being here. Have fun tonight. Thank you. Thanks much. Take care. You too. Bye-bye.
We're going to take a break for news. We'll be back with more right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Every weekday afternoon from 2 to 5 p.m. on WCPT 820. Remember when you get to work to hop over to WCPT820.com or the TuneIn Radio app and stream The Stephanie Miller Show weekdays 8 to 11 a.m. on Chicago's Progressive Talk, where facts matter. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. The reason that I listen to you from the infamous other side, you will call a spade a spade, and if it's indefensible, you will not defend it. And you know what? I can respect that. A WCPT 820. I have said repeatedly on this show that Jan Schakowsky is my favorite congressperson. I used to also say that she was my congressperson, but uh, the recent redistricting has sent me over to Brad Schneider, who I will say I like very much. You know, he maybe he's not quite the firecracker Jan Schakowsky is, but he is a good person and he's a good congressman. And I support him completely and fully, but I am still thrilled to have Jan Schakowsky back here on the show. Hey, Jan, how are you? I am so happy to be with you. Sorry to lose you as a constituent, but you're right. Brad is a great member of Congress. So, um, you know, we work together uh, all the time. So, yeah. I was uh, very happy. I was sitting uh, back in the nosebleed seats when you were on stage with uh, Stephanie Miller for the Sexy Liberal Save Democracy Tour. You were wonderful, as always. Unfortunately, you and I were in different parts of the Harris Theater, so I couldn't get over there to say goodbye to you or hello to you before you left. But you were terrific. Yeah. She knows how to make make politics a good time. And we appreciate that. And by the way, I know uh, I just mentioned this when I was talking to Kelly Cassidy, but Jan Schakowsky is also part of the group organizing the festivities, the drag them to the polls, get out the vote rally tonight at the Baton 471313 North Broadway. Doors open 630. Program begins at 7. Um, Jan, uh, I was talking to uh, Kelly about this. What are you looking forward to tonight at this event? Well, as you mentioned, I like to have a good time. Party <laughs> is going to be fun. There will be a drag queen show, and that'll be exciting. But the other part is going to be to recruit people who are uh, willing to put in some time between now and next Tuesday to get out the vote. Um, they can volunteer at the at the polls. We have plenty of phone banking that, that needs to be done, and they can call all of their friends and make sure that they are, are voting. Um, because I want to tell you, they say that the margin, uh, that, that there's a uh, very tight margin of error. I like to say it's a margin of effort, of mm-hmm. effort. If we continue to uh, to work all the way through until the polls close, I believe that we have a really great chance of electing the people who are going to represent our values and your values. And that personal outreach, whether it is a phone call or a text or even somebody knocking on the door, that has incredible power. I mean, I've talked to politicians for years And, you know, we always used to joke about the machine in Chicago. It was so powerful because the union members and people who worked in 
aldermanic offices. They they got out. They met people. They talked to people. When we do that in vast numbers, Democrats win. There's no question about it. And, you know, I'm encouraging people to go through their contact list that they have in their phone. And, you know, it doesn't take that long to make sure that you, you know, you know who who is likely to vote and who you may have to drag out to the polls. Give them a call. Give them a text. Um, Even if they're out of state, they may be in a state where we need a vote. So people have a lot of individual power themselves. There's nothing more powerful, John Lewis would say, than the vote in our democracy. And there are passion issues that should have both old and young Democrats surging to the polls. Young people watching Roe v. Wade disappear and knowing that gay marriage could be next. And older folks... Listening to people like Ron Johnson say, oh, yeah, you know, that's secure social security. Well, you know, we should probably vote on it every year. And we all know what that means. And other Republicans have offered even more draconian measures about uh, attempting to get rid of social security and Medicare. I know that's that's something that you are fighting against. Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, Ron Johnson called it a Ponzi scheme. I mean, these these people have been uh, hankering to get rid of Social Security, turn it over somehow to the, uh, you know, the, the, the big money people. But let's remember this. Social Security is not a, uh, a giveaway benefit. It is an earned benefit. You know, Joan, you're you're paying into Social Security with every paycheck. Mm-hmm. Yep. They're life. So they retire at 65 and get Social Security, um, and and yet they think somehow that it's uh, some kind of a Ponzi scheme, that uh, it's not legitimate, and that we ought to uh, cut it. Are you kidding me? Even even eliminate it as a as a as a benefit. Um, we we know that 25 percent of all senior citizens rely on Social Security for 90% or more of their, of their income. And more than half rely on Social Security for half their income. So this is a lifesaver. It lifts people out of poverty. And if they want to tamper with it, hand it over to Wall Street, are you kidding me? No. We have to say no to that. That That's a nightmare scenario. Hey, I also want to ask you about this letter that you signed um, along with Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren that you sent to the Federal Trade Commission about the big um, merger deal that uh, Kroger wants to pull off. Talk to us about that. Yeah, absolutely. Kroger um, wants to be wants to buy Albertson. What does that mean to us in the Chicago area, Mariano's? Is, a, is owned by Kroger, and Jewel is owned by Albertsons. And what we know already is that there is a price gouging when it comes to food. By the way, the New York Times has uh, a, an article about that, uh, about that today. But Kroger, who is institu- instituting this, uh, you know, tr- trying to get this merger, um, during the pandemic, its profits absolutely soared. Their earnings were $132 billion, but at the same time, they reduced the salary of their workers by 8.1%. This is the kind of thing that that they do. So we know 
when we're talking about price gouging, and I introduced a, a bill at the time, the COVID-19 um, Privacy uh, Price Gouging Protection Act, which unfortunately didn't become uh, law at the time. But Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and I are calling now on the Federal Trade Commission to say no to this merger. The prices that they're charging are far more than the cost increases that these um, grocery stores are experiencing. In other words, they're just taking advantage of consumers on food, on food. People are struggling to put meals on the table, and they are telling their shareholders, each time you got a benefit from, uh, you know, from the, from the grocery store, and we're going to raise your, um, you know, we're going to we're going to send more money to you. It's ridiculous and it's shameful. I read that if this merger goes through, it, correct me if my figures are wrong, that Kroger will own something like five thousand grocery stores across the country. Yeah, I mean they're they're they are heading toward. Uh, a real monopoly um, status right now. Um, yes, there's, you know, there are other grocery store chains and there's certainly a number of grocery stores, but they will be able to kind of set the pace for the rest of the industry and, and show that it really works to raise prices on, uh, on people, on, uh, on eggs and milk and, you know, basic necessities that, that people need. Shame on them. Yeah, really. Shame on them. Um, I also, before um, before we go back to talking about the show tonight, I want to talk to you about what Republicans have been doing, particularly Greg Abbott and Ron DeSantis, with busing and flying migrants around the country. I think that this stunt has backfired, especially onto DeSantis. Um, what what are your thoughts on this? Well, I I am hopeful that there is a, a backfire, but in the meantime, I have to tell you how proud I am of the city of Chicago and our Chicago um, region, where we are actually opening the doors to people who want nothing more. I, you know, I asked some of the the migrants who have come to uh, to, to my area to a reopened um, uh, building, and I said, "What what do you want from America?" And to a person, they said, a job to mm-hmm. work. They're not asking for any handout. And, and the, how mean can, can you get to say people who have walked hundreds and hundreds, sometimes over a thousand miles to get across the border? Um, I, I saw some of the um, uh, healthcare people who were serving these people when they came. A lot of them that I visited were kind of young to middle-aged. I said, so how are they? So basically, they're, they're okay, but their feet, their feet, because they have walked all the way hope, hoping for freedom and getting a job. But no. So they sent them in buses, never told them where they were going, No, never told them anything about where, what this was about. And I'm just glad some of them, anyway, landed in a welcoming community like we have here in the Chicago area. Um, What is going to be happening in Congress on some of the what I know people refer to as common sense issues like abortion and gun control, lowering drug costs? Well, if we, you know, women of all ages and particularly young women get out to vote. 
because you may feel comfortable here in Illinois. And by the way, if you're in one of the districts where the Supreme Court justices are running for office, because if we lose those seats, two of them, then, you know, our rights could be taken away by the Illinois Supreme Court. In any case, the federal Supreme Court wants it not just to apply to certain states and members of the uh, Republican Party in the Senate want to make it permanent all over the country to prevent abortion rights, to take away that right. And if you think that that, that's where they're stopped, we introduced and passed a bill in the House because we're afraid of what they think to pass to say that uh, birth control is legal. And over 100 Republicans, can you believe it, in this day and age, voted no, voted no. At first, when Roe v. Wade fell, people were saying and people thought they were extreme. You know, this could affect in vitro fertilization, but it opened a door. And, you know, the idea that contraception, you know, I mean, it was Brian. Brian Kemp even said, well, if a bill to ban contraceptive contraception got to his desk, he would sign it. Uh, I mean, hello. It's just unbelievable. You, and let's face it, you see some of these candidates and, and I'm sure some members who end up paying for abortions for their mistresses. Just saying. Hmm. Um, well, that's you know, the, the thing, isn't it? The, Abortion has always been available to those who had the, the money and the power. The, um, you yeah. know, if you have, a, particularly if you're white and rich, um, you, safe abortion has always been. It is, has always been available to you. It's just uh, poor women who this really, really messes with. I mean, you know, among other things, abortion is health care, but it's also an ep- economic issue. You know, forcing women to bring a child or another child into, uh, I- I- into the world. I mean, it's, and, 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 of course, the issue of rape, and it's, just, it's just unthinkable. And so everyone, not just women, not just girls, Everyone that can should get out to vote and say, protect our freedoms, because you could be next. You could be next if you're not uh, someone that's going to have an abortion. Yeah. Um, I want to promote the event again. It is Drag Them to the Polls, Get Out the Vote Rally and Drag Show tonight at the Baton. I think a lot lot of people know the uh, Baton Show Lounge is a famous place. Um, so, yeah, give them the address. Yes, because uh, it's well, I've been in town a long time and the baton used to be somewhere else. Um, so if you're an oldster like me, you need to know they moved. They're now at 4713 North Broadway in Chicago, 4713 North Broadway. They're a little bit north of where they used to be. Doors open 630. Program begins at 7. It's free, but you've got to register uh, Kelly Cassidy said that you could register on the Facebook page for the 49th Ward. Um, can you can people go to your page to register too, or sh- is that the best place I, for I'm them? Not sure. So go to so go to Kelly's. 49th okay. Ward, yeah. 49th um, Ward Facebook register. page. The other thing, the other thing uh, for people who are fans of um, the Baton Show Lounge, if you come to this event um, and uh, earlier in the in the evening. Um, seven to eight-ish, maybe a little more, you can stay for the 9 o'clock show at the um, Baton Show Lounge. So come on out. It's going to be fun, and we're going to drag them to the pole.
It's drag queens and all. (laughs) You cannot. It is it is physically impossible to have a bad evening at the baton. It just it just is. It is. You will walk out of there with a song in your heart and a spring in your step and more committed than ever to making sure that we get good turnout for this midterm election. And you get to meet Jan Schakowsky if you go. So, you know, who could say no to that? (laughs) <laughs> Thanks, Jen. Thank Thanks for Thanks joining so our conversation. Thank Anytime. You. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to take a break. And you know how Jan and I were just talking about abortion and who gets um, the opportunity to have a safe abortion and who doesn't? There is a group called Mothers Against Greg Abbott, Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas. They have a new ad out that focuses on abortion. I'm going to play the audio for you when we come right back after this. Don't turn that dial. A dangerous mistake to make. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, returns right now on WCPT 820. Congresswoman Jan Schakowsky, who, by the way, has a great drag-out-the-vote Um Event tonight at the Baton Show Lounge on North Broadway. Free, but you got to register. Go to the 49th Ward Facebook page. Um, we were just talking about abortion and how if we don't elect two Democratic Supreme Court justices here in the state of Illinois, as you heard from Representative Kelly Cassidy, every law we have on the books, you can basically just trash it. It's all somebody has to do is appeal it. It gets to the Supreme Court. Um, we these two men running against the Democratic women are very, very, very far right. And they've pretty much said, yeah, you will. We would we would support an abortion ban here in the state of Illinois. So if you find on your ballot a Supreme Court race and you have the opportunity to vote for Mary Kay O'Brien or Elizabeth Liz Rochford, I beg of you. I beg of you do it. Nothing, n- nothing that the legislature accomplishes is going to be safe. So anyway, Jan and I were talking about abortion. And, you know, bans on abortion are really um, designed not to affect the upper classes, but the middle classes and the lower classes, the people who um, can't afford to uh, do an off-the-books safe procedure or people who find it difficult to travel to another state. There is a group trying to get uh, a Beto elected the next governor of Texas, Beto O'Rourke, and they're called Mothers Against Greg Abbott. And one of the issues they're focusing on is abortion. And they have rightly pointed out, you know what? You wouldn't let a child adopt a baby, but you're going to make that same child give birth to a baby? Listen to this. I read there are babies that totally need homes, so I'd love to adopt one. Legally, we can adopt to anyone under the age of 21. Well, if science says I'm old enough to have a baby, I should be able to adopt one, am I right? No, you're wrong. Do you have proof of income? Oh, does tooth fairy money count? See, you still believe in tooth fairy. How are you going to have a baby? Hmm. Excuse me? Do you know where the abortion clinic is? Sweetie, I'm sorry, but they all closed. We wouldn't let a kid adopt a kid... But we're going to let we're going to let a kid have a kid and raise a kid in what universe in what universe does that make sense? And if it was really about life, 
you would see Republicans rushing to support preschool programs and food stamp or SNAP programs so that these families can afford to feed these extra mouths. In one southern state alone, it was estimated that the ban on abortion is going to result in 5,000 more births than would otherwise have happened. Where are the support programs? Where's the safety net for those kids? It's not existence because it's not existent because it's not about kids. It's about power. I'm going to take a break. We're going to be back with more right after this. Information is power. Stay informed to know what's going on. Staying informed gives me the power of knowledge. I wake up. I need to know what happened. I turn on the radio. Because information is power. WCPT 820. Where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. You know, earlier when we started this show, um, an hour and a half ago, I know it seems longer than that, but. It was just an hour and a half ago. I was talking to you about what is at stake in this election and how Rachel Maddow put it so eloquently in her um, Monday essay that she started her show with. I know a lot of... Political people will kind of bang the drum for every election. You got to get out. This election's really important. And they are. They absolutely are. But this one is of special importance. At least 60% of the country has one or more election deniers on the ballot. That's a staggering number. These are people who not only believe that previous elections did not give fair and balanced results, But a lot of these people, uh, Carrie Lake in Arizona, are saying that um, if they lose the election, they're not sure. They're not sure that they would accept that result. They won't. They will not commit to it. That's the new Republican strategy. If we win, we win. If we lose, it was rigged. If if these people get into power, they are going to restructure our state laws. They are going to give people like the secretary of state the power to throw out votes or not count votes or discount already counted votes because, oh, well, there might have been a problem at that uh, polling place. And dollars to donuts in this partisan world we live in now. Guess guess which polling places are going to have the problems? Urban polling places where people tend to vote Democratic in large numbers. Polling places where a lot of black and brown people go to vote. I'm just, you know, I I don't have a crystal ball, but I think it's a pretty good guess that those are the polling places that Republican secretaries of state are going to maybe discover there are problems with. This is a crisis point. This is like... No midterm election I have seen in my lifetime with what's at stake and the larger issues. As I said at the top of the show, Rachel Maddow put it beautifully. Uh, I want to share that with you right now, what she said. Listen to this. In this election, 
a clear majority of Republican candidates for congressional and statewide offices say election results should no longer count. They do not believe in election results. Even below that level, in state legislative races, look, clear majorities of Republican candidates in those races in the swing states, they say election results shouldn't count. They don't believe them. We shouldn't use elections anymore. If they do not want us to have elections anymore, don't kid yourself that there is another good option. It is democracy or it's not. And if it's not, it's violence and force. This is the year. This is the election when your vote, up and down to the very bottom of the ballot, is an answer to this one question. Is it democracy or is it force and violence? Our vote this year is about whether we ever get to vote again. This is not the year to sit out. No, it absolutely is not the year to sit out. We are going to take a real quick break. And when we come back, we are going to be talking to Sarah Blanchard and Misasha Suzuki Graham. They are authors and the podcasters of Dear White Women. They believe elections matter a lot, too. We're going to talk to them about that right after this. Can't listen to Joan Esposito? Surely you can't be serious. Live, local, and progressive in your car today? I am serious, and don't call me sure. Don't fret. You can still listen to her on the TuneIn app on both your phone and computer. Whoa, you feel that right away. Oh. It's just refreshing. Because facts matter. You're listening to WCPT 820. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Every weekday afternoon from 2 to 5 p.m. on WCPT 820. Yes, it's not just me telling you this is an important election. It is everybody. We talked to Congresswoman Jan Schakowsky, State Rep Kelly Cassidy. Now I am very pleased to talk to Sarah Blanchard and Misasha Suzuki Graham, authors and podcasters of Dear White Women. They also think this midterm election is important. Sarah, Misasha, thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having us back. It's, I'm excited for this conversation. Me too. Me too. So, you know, uh, you guys put out what I thought was a really uh, thoughtful uh, email blast on this election. You asked some interesting questions. You gave some interesting information. What was your motivation to do that? Sarah, you I want to start? It was really. Yeah, absolutely. You know, first of all, the, the blatant truth is much as we have a ton of information in the podcast I think all of us know not everybody is an audio consumer, and it was important for us to give an opportunity for people to understand this content is out there in the written form. Because when you look at it in a small document like that, you really get to see what's at stake. You know, you quoted at the top of the show the statistic that 60 percent of us will have an election denier on the ballot. There are going to be people who don't realize how close all of these concerns are coming to our homes and that will come to affect our lives because it affects whether or not we wind up having a democracy. Yeah. Do you think people, you know, unfortunately, uh, political types have a tendency to say, oh, you've got to vote. This election's so important. And this time I feel like I want to say, no, really, really, this is the one. And I'm just uh, afraid that that people won't listen to that message the way I would like them to. How do we break through? You know, Sasha, you want to take that? 
Yeah, I think that the quote, um, you know, that if we don't vote in this, this election is really about whether we have the chance to vote again um, in the next election. And I, you know, this is not something I thought I would see in uh, my lifetime either. Um, It's not something I wanted to see in my children's lifetime, but I I don't think that's overstating anything. And I think that, um, you know, even living in progressive states where you feel like you know which way the state is going to go, it's it's the down ballot elections, the races. In my own very progressive city, we have a school board candidate who is running on basically a back to basics platform, which is something that is code language for, I think, Mm -hmm. what we're all aware is being threatened right now, which is our democracy. And democracy is really, you know, the the consent of the governed, right, to to, and have the ability to elect the people who are going to represent them. And we are we are really at stake of losing that. And I think we can see the legal and political changes that are pushing us towards that. But sometimes we look at things in a vacuum, right? We see one change. We can't connect it not only to the historical you know, um, trajectory of how we've gotten here, but we also can't play it forward to how it will affect those of us who may not be affected immediately. You in this e-blast you sent out, I was I was a little bit ashamed because you were stating some of the obvious uh, questions and statements. And I sort of felt like, gee, I wonder why I didn't do that, because, you know, you make some assumptions. But here, one section of it. Um, Do you know where your polling place is? Do you have time off work on Election Day or do you know when you're going to the polls? Do you have a way of getting there? Do you know how to drive there or how to walk there? Um, you know, um, can you are you legally allowed to offer water if people are in line? You know, as we've seen some of these ridiculous laws being passed, you know, but but I have learned with the email feedback that I get from my listeners that. Some of this stuff is really complicated. Some of this stuff, you know, I have conversations about it, but they go pretty quickly. And people will, even after I've had two or three conversations about an issue, I'll get an email from somebody that says, you know, could you go over that one more time? You know, I I thought the whole judges thing, it was a little confusing. You really have to start with the basics and you do this so reasonably and logically and clearly and understandably you it's just really really terrific um and you talk about not only being physically ready but mentally ready uh, talk about that sarah yeah i think you know we really cannot overstate in this conversation how important our vote will be each and every one of us because you know as Misasha said even in areas where we tend to make assumptions that that everything is untouched and we're going to be fine there are people looking to undermine you know the ability for us to elect our leaders and in in that um, I really do think that we wanted to point out three really big things that are on the ballot we talk about integrity and real facts Right. Masquerading as this belief in in voter fraud, which we already discussed. But then we haven't even talked about this idea of respect for women, which is currently masquerading as abortion. And this idea of control of this next generation, because what are we doing for those babies who are born? Have we thought this through? Um, Mm -hmm. And when did abortion become a political issue? When did church and state no longer be was no, no longer seen as a thing that has to be separate? 
that is an issue that's at risk. And then, and this last one is, you know, considering our podcast is called Dear White Women, and we do talk a lot about racial justice. Racism is currently masquerading as this idea of student debt relief. And not only do we make it pretty clear in, in this email and, you know, thanks to so many other fantastic organizations doing the work, like that the disproportionate number of student loan borrowers tend to be people of color because of historic oppression and, uh, you know, like legislation that has been in place that has not allowed families of color to get the benefits that white families did in this generation leading up to this latest um, group of people who've had to borrow money. But on top of that, we're really seeing some openly awful attacks in the lead up to the midterms. You know, there was uh, the Washington Post actually did a great article that talked about a Republican senator suggesting that black Americans are criminals who want to take over what you got. And that's a, like a direct quote. I would never say that. <sighs> uh, we've got other people talking about conspiracy theories about immigrants. They're talking about replacement theory, which echoes anti-Jewish sentiment. We're seeing a lot of candidates really talking ugly about our fellow human beings, our fellow citizens, and we're not seeing lawmakers on both sides of the party standing up and holding a line and saying, this is not okay. Yeah. I mean, I talk about all the time the ads that Ron Johnson is running against Mandela Barnes for the Senate seat up in Wisconsin. And, you know, it'll be like it'll be an ad and then it'll end with Mandela Barnes. He's different. And there was another one that ended Mandela Barnes. He's not one of us. What do you think the subtext is there? Um, it's just unbelievable to me where we are at this point. Uh, Miss Sasha, I know that you guys actually did a whole podcast episode called Why Abortion Became Political. Talk to us about that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, this kind of um, came from what Sarah was talking about. We really wanted to take some of the really key issues as we saw them that are going to be hotly contested in the midterms and break it down for people so they understood not only has it not always been this way, that abortion has not always been closely tied to the Republican Party, um, but we wanted to draw the direct line between um, segregation and abortion and how this became sort of the unifying factor for certain individuals who believe not only that segregation should exist, but also that the party, this is what's going to unify this whole group of people who believed in racism, who believed in um, control over people's bodies, who believed in who were a small faction at the time, but were able to create this platform and have candidates not only run on this platform, but really espouse these beliefs so much so that now we have very we have the Dobbs decision, among other things, because we have candidates who became president, who appointed justices, who believed in this just like they did. Um, but we have this, you know, expanding out into states which where now there is a full ban on abortion to states where there is a partial ban to the threat of a federal ban on abortion. And so I think that we wanted to be very, very clear in this episode as to how we got here. And for a lot of people who throw up their hands and say, well, it's just always been that way. It hasn't. Not even in Sarah's in my lifetime has it been that way. Mm -hmm. And we have people like, um, you know, former President Reagan, who as the governor of California, was 
actually had and signed a bill about abortion reform before Roe, who by 1988 and, you know, in the end of his second term was leading, you know, standing at the March for Our for Life rally, talking about, you know, the unborn children and the rights that they have as opposed to the mother's rights. And, and this very politically charged flip in how people viewed abortion is so important to understand when you see it as a tactic and see it for what it is, because right now in Georgia, we have Herschel Walker, right, who is who is clearly just, uh, you know, like sort of walking hypocrisy. And you have people who are who have made all of these statements about, you know, abortion is wrong. We have the Dobbs decision was right. Suddenly sort of walking that back and saying, you know, but but, you know, Herschel Walker, he's a great candidate. And so it, it, those two things we always talk about on the podcast on many things can be true at once. Those two things can't be true if you really if you mm. have conviction of your belief. And so it, we just wanted to really continue to expose what is political and what is what are truth and facts. And so, you know, the more that we can do that, the more that we can get people to understand. I mean, abortion is on the ballot in California, but abortion is on the ballot in a lot of other ways because the people that you're electing on your down ballot races are going to be the people who are also going to make those decisions for you. And so I, I think that the more that we are aware of that, the more that we talk about it, the more that people start to think about this on a much broader scale. And I think you made a perfect illustration using Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker clearly is not a man who, um, well, he probably doesn't really have too many beliefs that he lives by, but he clearly has in the past paid for, not only paid for, but basically pressured his partners into getting abortions. Those same rumors swirled around uh, Donald Trump, though nobody ever came forward. But but he is espousing this. Oh, no, I'm against abortion 100 percent. And it is so transparent that this is simply what his handlers in the Republican Party have said. You've got to say this is this is the stance you have to take. If there was ever a better illustration that this is not a core belief. It is a tactic. Herschel Walker perfectly, perfectly illustrates this. There was um, a pastor in Georgia by the name of Jamal Bryant who gave a sermon, and he talked about Herschel Walker, and he said Herschel Walker is doing what he's told to do. He is saying what he's being told to do by other people. And if you don't think that those same people are going to tell him how to vote when he's in the Senate, then like you're not paying attention here, you know, and it is exactly that is it, it's a tactic that has worked for the Republicans for so long because it gets people riled up. And you know that when people are riled up, um, that they go to the polls because, by God, they're not going to let anybody get away with this. Another point you guys make that I'd like to uh, refocus on is how to have this discussion. For a long time, I used to get caught up in the science of, you know, people who life begins at conception. And I'd be like, no, it doesn't. You know, have you studied this at all? Do you know what you're talking about? But I don't have those discussions anymore because that's not important. I don't think that's the real issue. The real issue is I don't want the government making medical decisions for me 
or my loved ones or my daughter. Get the government out of the doctor's office. Forget about what your religion is or what, you know, you think God tells you is important on this issue. Look at the political ramifications. You said it perfectly. I think it was you, Sarah, that this is about women and about power. And I'm so glad you are addressing this. Um, Sarah, I think it was you uh, earlier in our discussion who who talked about this. I I just want you to know I could not agree with you more. Thank you. You know, it is interesting that the conversation isn't necessarily about why do women have abortions anymore? It is such a subtle shift. And I hadn't even, you know, you, you really captured that beautifully because I still remember the jaw dropping hypocrisy of someone who had voted against abortion access being interviewed and asked, why do you think women get abortions? And they said, well, I, I never even, I don't, I don't know. I've never thought about that. Why would oh. women get abortions? Not at all lending any, you know, weight to that. And again, going back to, um, I guess hypocrisy is the right word. This idea that Republicans want a small government and yet they are voting to just um, like in the uh, men at Oz. Dr. Oz said he thinks that abortion decisions should be made by women, doctors and local politicians. What are we doing putting politicians into our private medical decisions? Why are we expanding access of the government into control of our bodies other than because they want to have control and they're willing to overlook a fundamental part of their stance that they historically have said was very important, a smaller government. Um, we don't have a huge amount of time yet, so it's probably a bad radio host idea to introduce a new topic. But I've been alarmed in the last couple of days. I mean, once they kicked, once the Supreme Court kicked Roe v. Wade to the curb, they as much as said, and oh, by the way, you know, we're not, we don't have it in front of us, but kind of we think the same bad decisions were made um, that allowed for gay marriage. Well, now what they're hearing is a case about affirmative action. And I, I have to tell you, you know, there's a lot of people say, well, you know, that's just reverse discrimination or discrimination against white people. But I was reading Ibram uh, Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. And he, what he was saying was, is it uh, discrimination of a sort, maybe, to have affirmative action? It could be. But what's your goal? Is your goal racial equity? Because if you want equity, you've got to find ways to level the playing field. And he talked about how when he was uh, prepping to take the GRE for grad school and he took this course that promised to raise his score by hundreds of points. And he said he realized that what the course was It wasn't anything to make him smarter or more knowledgeable. It was how to take the test, how to take the test in a more efficient manner, in a smarter manner. And he thought to himself, this test, this GRE is supposed to assess who's smart enough to get into grad school. And yet, because I can afford the time and the money to take this prep course, I'm going to score higher than a lot of people. So does that mean I'm smarter than them? No, it doesn't. It means I know how the system works. And until we get the system to work fairly for all people, my attitude is that affirmative action should stand, though by all accounts from what I'm reading, it will not. Um, Sarah, you want to start with that one? Yeah, thank you. I think it is an important conversation to have. 
you know, not just because it's talking about affirmative action as it applies to a college and, and the university admissions, but some of America's largest corporations, including Apple and Google and Meta, I mean, they have all filed briefs supporting affirmative action because all of a sudden, if that is overturned, that would might narrow the pool of diverse graduates that they can recruit from. So don't be sort of fooled into thinking that this is just about college, that only, you know, 30, 40 percent of the American population can go to college or does go to college anyway. This has wide reaching ramifications. I um, mean, come on. Sasha, I know you probably have thoughts on this. Yeah. Too, but, Miss, yeah. Miss Sasha, do you honestly believe that Jared Kushner was bright enough to get into Harvard? Do you think he didn't get a little bit of a unfair playing field there? Uh, I mean, absolutely. Look, the lawyer in me is terrified um, that affirmative action is going to be struck down. And I, I think that, you know, what we've been talking about, too, is access. Right. We don't have equal access. And I think that anyone who believes that we have equal access is probably benefiting from access that others don't have. I think that it's really short-sighted to say, uh, we're good now. We don't need affirmative action based on certain challenges, because like Sarah was saying, it's, it's much bigger than admissions to universities, right? This has implications that go way beyond that. And I think we are so short-sighted when we take things like that and then try and narrowly focus on just this one thing, because not only does it ignore all the history of why we needed affirmative action in the first place, it ignores, you know, certain beneficiaries of affirmative action. White women were the largest beneficiaries of affirmative action for a really long time because of Title IX. And so you also can't see the future, which goes way beyond, you know, admissions to universities. So I'm personally terrified. I think it's highly short-sighted. Sarah Blanchard, Misasha Suzuki Graham, authors and podcasters of Dear White Women, thank you so much for being here. You're doing great work. Please keep it up. Love to have you back again in the future. We would love that. Thank you so much for having us, Joan. We are going to take a break for news, and uh, we're going to be talking about, uh, we're going to give you an update on the war in Ukraine when we come back after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Every weekday afternoon from 2 to 5 p.m. on WCPT 820. This hour of Joan Esposito Live Local and Progressive is brought to you by Team Hochberg. If you want to buy a house or refinance a house, call 855-56-DAVID or visit 56david.com. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. The Washington Post uh, reported just a few minutes ago that uh, Kiev and Moscow have agreed to stop halting grain shipments. This has been a big area of controversy in Ukraine, um, a safe passage for grain ships that are leaving Ukraine. Russia backed out of a deal that had been put together by the United Nations to kind of keep these agricultural exports moving. Part of the fear is that not so much here, but in Africa, if these grain shipments, because, you know, Ukraine is one of the major grain growers, grain suppliers in the world, that if these shipments don't get to certain African countries, we have a real serious fear of famine. So that is one thing that is going on. That story was uh, broken just like 10 minutes ago. And also in the Washington Post, they're reporting that Norway 
is asking their military to go on alert because they have seen drones over their country. And they're a little worried about that situation. We have not done an update on what is going on in Ukraine for a while. So I asked uh, Professor Joel Ostro to join us. He's an expert in the rise of authoritarianism and in Russia. He's at Benedictine University, and he joins us now. Joel, thank you for being here. Oh, thanks for having me again, Joan. It's always a pleasure. Okay. I know what I read, like, in the Washington Post or, or some other mainstream media publication. Is there something important that's been happening in this situation recently that you know about that you could share with our listeners? Well, the whole issue with the grain is troubling, right? Um, what happened was Ukraine has uh, stepped up successful attacks uh, in the southern part of, of the occupied territory on the verge of liberating Kherson and, and that whole southern region, as we discussed last time we were, uh, you had me on, uh, and, and has been successfully uh, pushing this counteroffensive. And in addition, uh, very recently carried out uh, a swarm of drone attacks against Russian ships uh, in the Black Sea, uh, warships. Um, I don't believe they sank any of them, but caused a lot of damage and a lot of damage to munitions. Uh, Russia's response to those attacks has been, as Russia's response has been really to everything over the last uh, four or five months, uh, wanton attacks on civilian areas, including the capital city of Kiev, hitting water, uh, pumping stations, electrical power plants and the like, uh, and, and just random apartment buildings and other civilian targets uh, like hospitals and shopping malls, things like that. Um, and then Russia announced uh, that it was pulling out of the deal brokered by the U.N. to ensure grain shipments out of Ukraine. Uh, much of the rest of the world um, relies on grain uh, from Ukraine. And that's been a, a concern since the outbreak of, of Russia's uh, attack in February. What was going to happen to the food supplies around the world? Mm-hmm. Uh, it is. Uh, and, and Russia didn't say they were going to attack the ships, but they said they couldn't guarantee their safety, uh, which is essentially the same thing. Um, so it is encouraging. I, I have not seen the latest story that you just mentioned. It must be uh, very new uh, that Russia has uh, and Ukraine have reached some sort of agreement again. To Well, it sounds like, according to The Washington Post, what they've agreed to is that nobody's going to ship any grain until they can agree to something. I mean, it's like oh. it's it's not an agreement in and of itself. Here, Here's what here's what the Washington Post said. So I'll just read it so it's more clear than my interpretation. Um, the future of safe passage for grain ships departing Ukraine um, was the subject of tense talks after Russia backed out of a U.N. brokered deal. Um, Moscow and Kiev agreed to halt all grain ship departures Okay. Today, as they're or starting tomorrow, as they hash out a path forward. So what does that mean? Okay. I mean, you know, I'll give you this. You give me that. I'll let, and I'll let a couple of boats go. Um, well, number one, I, I doubt that it will be Russian and Ukrainian diplomats negotiating directly without some third party assistance, whether that's Turkey or the U.N. or some other uh, broker. Uh, it is. Really, it should not be much more complex than 
um, some sort of identifier system on the grain ships uh, that keeps them safe and that both Russia and Ukraine uh, and other militaries operating, uh, navies operating in, in, uh, in the region where uh, sort of the, the Black Sea Highway where those ships would go uh, will, will protect rather than threaten those, uh, those shipments. Uh, but that agreement is probably you know, similar to what already was agreed upon, and they, they're essentially going to have to reinstate that prior agreement. Um, I don't see Russia extracting any further concessions from Ukraine or vice versa um, on this on this issue. You said something um, when we talked a long time ago. There was I was saying something negative about uh, the Turkish president uh, Erdogan. And you said, no, 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 don't, you know, just because I think he had been in a picture with Putin and I was like, oh, NATO must be really mad at him. And you're like, no, you know, he's he's the point person. And with this whole grain deal, apparently, again, he is the one on the phone with Vladimir Putin trying to straighten out this grain deal. Talk to me about Erdogan and what role he is playing in this conflict that you see. Yeah, well, I mean, it's unsavory for sure. Uh, so. If I overstated last time, uh, the strictly relating to the Russia war in Ukraine, uh, Turkey is playing both sides. Um, they are still buying Russia's uh, petroleum, uh, natural gas and oil. So that's a problem um, in violation uh, of, of both EU and other sanctions imposed on Russia. Uh, so Turkey is in direct violation of that. But in return, Turkey has um, begrudgingly cleared a path for Finland and Sweden to join NATO. Uh, and uh, because of Erdogan's and Putin's relationship, Erdogan is able to exploit that uh, role uh, to to try to uh, broker between Russia and the West uh, when when possible and when needed. And certainly the rest of the world needs this grain. So that's a positive role that Erdogan can play. Uh, but let's still say Turkey, Turkey is an unsavory and, and uncomfortable partner in this, uh, but also a necessary partner because they are they are a member of NATO and an important military partner in NATO as well. So um, Turkey is a very important but a complex uh, and complicated situation, uh, to say the least. It it absolutely is. And I have to be careful to remember that most of the world exists in areas of gray. It's not like, oh, yeah. you know, Erdogan of yeah. Turkey, bad man. No, Erdogan of Turkey, good man. No, is he bad man? Um, and it, he kind of can be both, can't he? Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and, you know, and, and, and he is aware of of the. um complex nature of Turkey's relations with Europe and the West still has an interest in um, having those relations be good, economic reasons and otherwise, uh, and yet um, is not a democracy, uh, does not live up to certainly the EU standards for human rights and, and other policies, uh, and, and, and has no intention of doing so. And given that, um, is trying to find other ways to to make up, I guess, for those, if you will, uh, what the EU and, and uh, the rest of the democracies would see as deficiencies 
uh, on those scores in, in Turkey's political system to still be able to play a positive role and maintain relations. So this provided Turkey with an opportunity to enhance its standing uh, by by trying to play a positive role in brokering situations, including uh, the situation with Ukraine. Um, we need to take a break, and we we have some people calling in who want to join our conversation. I'm talking to Professor Joel Ostro of Benedictine University. We're talking about the war in Ukraine. We're going to continue this discussion and uh, take some calls right after this. Take Jonas Esposito, live, local, and progressive, with you on the go by using the TuneIn app on your phone. Just search for WCPT 820. Mind over matters. Dr. Amy Harris. Nuan, as you know, this show is about challenging you to think differently, to make different choices in your life, to take action, to create positive outcomes in your life. So I want to challenge you to look at your life holistically. To where am I satisfied? What areas uh, need attention? And then go to work, take an action what you need to do. Mind over matters with Dr. Amy Harris Nuan. Sundays at 10 a.m. on WCPT 820. WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter. You know what time it is? Hello? Can you hear me? It's time to return to the best progressive talk show in Chicago. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Now on WCPT 820. I'm joined by political science professor Joel Ostro. He's at Benedictine University. We have been talking about Ukraine. Uh, David is calling from San Francisco to join our conversation. David, you're on with me and Professor Ostro. Go ahead. Yeah, hi, Joan and Professor. Yeah, I wanted to ask if there was, um, I, as I was listening, you were talking about the latest news about uh, the potential brokered uh, grain movements. Uh, since you're in Chicago, where the commodities market is pretty much the central uh, investing, um, they may like it if grain prices rise, but they're probably also smart enough to know that if grain prices rise, that's going to play hell with uh, the average citizen's uh, inflation rate. And so that's going to be bad for the stock market. And so I'm just wondering if there's a way that uh, the Russian credit rating uh, can be uh, damaged by what they're doing. And so that uh, Russia would end up having to pay for all sorts of goods and, and services coming into there. Uh, by denying food to the rest of the world. And uh, so I'm just wondering if uh, I know that the uh, discussion that you had is all speculative at this point, but whether or not there's a market forces way of dealing with this. Professor, is there any way we can downgrade Russian credit? <laughs> well, well, Russian's credit is already junk status. I mean, they have no credit uh, on you know, in global financial markets, they've been completely cut off. Um, you remember, they've been they've been cut off of the SWIFT system. Uh, they're isolated financially, except from uh, those sort of rogue states uh, and and fringe actors, you know, or 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 states with non-convertible currencies like China that will do business with them. Uh, so, so the credit issue is a non-issue. Their their credit's been ruined internationally, as has the reputation. Uh, I do not. I, I, my understanding, and it could be wrong, like where's Orion Samuelson when you need him? Uh, <laughs> I thought that our commodities exchange pricing was 
uh, was pretty limited to domestic sales. And I didn't think that it was a, our commodity market was global, but I could be wrong on that. But my, my very limited understanding was that the price of grain in the U S market was not going to be affected by Ukrainian sales. Almost all of which uh, are, uh, to other countries, we're reasonably self-sufficient when it comes to grain in this country. You talked Not about how Russia... I could be, but I, I am way yeah. ahead of my... <laughs> <over> my <pizza. laughs> you talked about how Russia basically is already at a junk bond status. Let's say yeah. some sort of miracle occurred and the war ended uh, this evening. Would that change anytime soon, do you think? Or do you think that's going to be something that... Putin is going to have to live with? Uh, I think it's going to take more than a ceasefire to change Russia's status in the world. Um, It seems pretty clear to me that um, the issue of what's going to happen in Ukraine is going to be really, really important in terms of responsibility, the cost of rebuilding, um, all of the associated issues related to that. Um, Russia's not going to get off scot-free just by saying, uh, okay, we're done now. Uh, that mm-hmm. ain't going to be enough. Um, and, and certainly as long as Putin is in power, um, Russia's situation in the world is not going to change very much. With an authoritarian leader like Putin, my sense is, and I'm basing this on absolutely no data, but my sense is with somebody like that, that there's a huge amount of ego, you know, to be that kind of a person. I think you have to have a massive ego. So it would seem to me that, you know, Putin's made this foray into Ukraine. He has a massive ego. I, I can't imagine how he justifies ending this war and keeps his self-respect do you see a, a yep. path to that? Uh, if if I did, I would be I would have a different job and wouldn't be talking with you probably right now. <laughs> You'd be ruler be, of the universe. Some, yeah, something like that. I, it, you're you, you're absolutely right. His whole uh, dictatorial rule is based on. Um, sort of this notion of infallibility and superiority of him in that role. Uh, And this is, has been an unmitigated disaster from idea to, to today uh, on every level. And, and we now know that there are those near him who were telling him this even before February 24th, when, when they first invaded uh, this year. Um, really? And, People were telling yeah. Putin this is a bad idea? It seems pretty clear that uh, his relationship with his defense minister, Shoigu, is, has obviously been um, hot and cold, hot and cold. And my my suspicion is Shoigu is warning him that this might not go uh, at all as easily as he was as he was thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But we uh, have another caller who. He's Go ahead. actually been marginalized since then as well, that defense <laughs> minister, although he hasn't been removed. So, uh, We have another caller who wants to join our conversation. Bob is calling in from Indiana. Go ahead, Bob. You're on with me and Professor Joel Ostro. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, hey, Bobby. Uh, professor, um, 
we pretty much know now that the Ukrainians are pretty good at melting uh, Russian troops. But mm -hmm. um, are, are they getting everything they really need to fight off the rockets and the drones and all these aerial attacks that seem to really be pounding them? Well, that's a good question, and, and there were reports of a pretty tense conversation between Presidents Biden and Zelensky a couple of days ago, uh, where President Biden was informing him of, of new shipments on their way and new aid coming. Zelensky's response was, here's what else we need. And uh, President Biden didn't quite appreciate that. Uh, it sounds like in the course of the conversation, that relationship mended very quickly. Um, but it does point to the fact that um, the United States and our allies have um, have given to Ukraine uh, enormous amounts of aid uh, in terms of money, in terms of weapons, in terms of um, uh, ancillary support like healthcare and food and other sorts of uh, supplies, um, logistical support, intelligence support. Uh, that the military intelligence has been absolutely critical. Um, and, and in daily communications with our military advisors and, and, and trainers on new equipment. And all of that uh, still leaves Ukraine quite short. I mean, Ukraine is dwarfed by Russia in every possible aspect, population size, territorial size, size of military, men and women in arms, uh, munitions, everything. Ukraine has less. Uh, and yet, uh, Robert, as he said, Ukraine's military has been performing quite well. Um, the persistent sanctions against Russia are helping with that because Russia now lacks the advanced guidance systems and other uh, components for their weaponry. I, I, just in my Russian politics class today, was just, we're talking about the economic situation in Russia. They can no longer get access to the components that they need for their advanced weaponry. And they don't have the capacity to manufacture them themselves because their entire economy has been based on the export of uh, natural resources, particularly natural gas and oil. Uh, and they've been relying on importing components for their weapon systems. Ukraine has weapon systems with the same kinds of guidance material uh, uh, components. Um, in a sense, Ukraine knows how Russia's weapons work. And Russia can't reproduce the weapons that it's losing on its own. Um, the big challenge now are these really low-tech drones, uh, because traditional those are the drones from Iran. Yeah. The drones from Iran that Putin's yeah. buying, right? And and anti-aircraft systems are meant to shoot down planes and rockets. Um, so uh, I. I would imagine there's a frantic scramble to try to figure out how do we protect ourselves from these things, because one could envision an almost limitless supply of those coming in and the uh, Russia's own ability to manufacture or, or retrofit just normal drones you can buy anywhere. Right. You mean so limitless in the in the in the in the area that Russia can keep buying them? Because I've been reading about these, what they call them suicide drone attacks. I mean, in yeah. the United States, we see this footage of a big drone that launches a missile and then the drone goes home. But a lot of these Iranian drones are basically yeah. sort of like kamikaze into their targets. Low tech, but they're also cheap, right? Mm. Uh, you know, you go to 
you go to Walmart and just buy a drone and, and instead <laughs> of putting a, a camera on it to take pictures of whatever you want to take pictures of, uh, put an explosive on it and fly it into something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this can be done pretty cheaply and still cause a, a whole heck of a lot of damage. Um, uh-huh. So and, and then the question for Ukraine is how do we defend ourselves against that? Uh, um, and that's that, that there apparently there is no right now, no easy answer to that. I'm talking to um, Professor Joel Ostro. He's with Benedictine University. He is an expert on Russia and authoritarian regimes. We're going to continue our discussion right after this break. Facebook. Message us. Instagram. Follow us. Twitter. Tweet us. They keep me connected. Let's get social on the socials. WCPT 820. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Weeknights from 5 to 6 p.m. On WCPT 820. Don't turn that dial. A dangerous mistake to make. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, returns right now on WCPT 820. I'm joined by Professor Joel Ostro, who is a political scientist with Benedictine University. We are talking about the war in Ukraine. He specializes in studying authoritarian regimes and Russia. We were talking earlier about this idea that the grain shipments, because, of course, grain is um, a major, major export crop for Ukraine. And right now, all of the grain ships are stopped because Russia and Ukraine have to come to some kind of an agreement about that. Um, and we were talking about that. And um, we weren't we were we were talking about how it was traded and uh, neither Professor Joel Ostro nor myself know much about the world of trading commodities. Uh, Brian from Kankakee has called in and wants to offer us some clarification. Brian, go ahead. We need clarification. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, oil and grain are kind of very similar. They're very, they flow. Mm. And so grain is an international commodity. Uh, and so the Chicago Board of Trade is affected by things you wouldn't even believe. Uh, on the farm reports here on the local radio station, they'll give the, they'll give the weather in Argentina. That will affect the Chicago mm. Board of Trade. The truckers blocking shipment of, of grain in Brazil right now, that will affect the Chicago mm. Board of Trade. And certainly what happens in Ukraine is affecting the Chicago Board of Trade. It's also affecting the price you're paying for bread in the supermarket. Um, mm. So I just wanted to clarify that. And I was talking in the break with my partner, Ray, who has worked um, in the financial world for much of his adult life. And he said the Merck, locally, it's really a CME, the Merck that does a grain trading. And he said that the grain trading they do is domestic and not international. So now we've got we've got all the facts. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Brian, for calling in and um Thank you, Ray, for putting down your own work and coming to my rescue during the commercial break. Um, you know, to me, the Board of Trade, the Merck, if, I don't know, one from the other. But if you live in that world, apparently, then you realize just how ignorant I am about these things. Um, I wanted to move on to one other aspect about what's going on in Ukraine. You know, Joel, for a long time, we heard these rumblings, rumors 
that if, you know, things didn't go his way, that Vladimir Putin would pull out a nuclear bomb and then as if to try to allay some fears. Well, just a tactical nuke, not like, I don't know, an, a non-tactical nuke. And now they're talking about uh, a dirty bomb. And frankly, with all these different definitions, I had to look that up. And a dirty bomb is apparently any kind of bomb that um, combines radioactive material and conventional explosives. So it yeah. blows up an area and then contaminates that area yeah. with radioactivity. And Russia has right. been claiming that Ukraine is getting ready to use a dirty bomb on its own territory just so they can blame it on Russia. What do you think about that? Uh, every time uh, Putin uh, or his henchmen issue a warning about what Ukraine is going to do, uh, what that means is it is an increased likelihood that that is exactly what they themselves plan to do. Um, this has been their tactic uh, in Syria. It was their tactic in Chechnya. Um, they, it, it's, and frankly, it was quite a lot of the Republican Party's tactics electorally here, uh, blaming the other side for election fraud when they are conducting election fraud. It is a tactic of authoritarians and uh, authoritarian-minded people everywhere. Uh, that so you're talking about authoritarians everywhere will want to do something, so before they do it, they blame the other side, or they accuse the other side of doing it, or say the other side's about to do it, so that when they do it, the the water is muddied. Yeah, correct. Exactly right. Exactly right. Um, and Russia has been threatening, although the most recent pronouncement by Putin was much more traditional when it came to nuclear weapons, saying we are, we are not going to be the first to use nuclear weapons. Of course not. We're a responsible actor. Uh, this was in a, a recent foreign policy statement that Putin made. Um, and that was quite reassuring to everyone. And it came on the heels of um, renewed conversations between our own secretary of defense and his defense minister, uh, which clearly uh, had to have touched on these nuclear issues because Putin's speech came about two days after those contacts. Um, but that does not negate the possibility of, of some other sort of uh, uh, related kind of action that, that would wouldn't be equally horrific, but but it's still quite unthinkable that that uh, either side would do this. Um, it would it would be long lasting uh, catastrophic damage to people and, and territory uh, that um, while not equal to detonating, detonating a nuclear weapon uh, on the battlefield uh, is uh, still in the realm of the unthinkable. You have an expertise in authoritarian rulers. When do we believe them and when do we not? When do we believe that Putin is saying what's really going to happen? Are are there things that you observe, like, I don't know, you know, his left eye is bigger than his right eye. That means he's telling the truth. You've studied these guys. When do we believe them? So when it comes to nefarious things that they might do, you always believe them. And when it comes to things that sound conciliatory, you don't trust that. Hmm. Well, that was 
That's a sad answer, but I, it, you know, I guess it makes a lot of sense. You know, yeah. um, pay attention when the saber rattling comes because it right. might not be an empty gesture. Um, and, so when Putin talks about the opposite, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh well, that's not a the international actor. <laughs> if we don't know that by now, we don't know nothing. So, um, uh, you know, but but at the same time, um, you know, he's. When he says when he says he's going to do something nasty to a place, pay attention because because he's shown no no real compunction against doing that. So uh, I would add to um, sort of anticipating <laughs> anticipating your your question about predictions uh, in a discussion in another class I taught today. Uh, this came up. Um, because people ask all the time, how long is this going to go on? Uh, and it's quite evident that uh, that this war is going to go on for the foreseeable future. But the bigger problem is the level of distrust that now exists between particularly Ukrainians towards Russia uh, and the potential for lasting um, feelings of humiliation or defeat or uh, otherwise, resentment from Russians and from Russia towards Ukraine, though both of those factors are run so deep that um, it, it is very difficult to see a restoration of harmonious relations and how that comes about, which is really incredibly sad because Russia and Ukraine were seen as as pretty close for a long time. Uh, but it's almost akin to the situation between Bosniaks, Croats, and, and Serbs in Bosnia-Herzegovina, where for generations, not only did they live relatively harmoniously side by side, but a third of marriages were mixed marriages. Uh, and, and there has been very little or nothing that has repaired those relationships in almost 30 years there. Uh, I foresee similar kinds of difficulties long-term uh, for uh, Russian and Ukrainian relations, uh, whether we're talking at the governmental level or at the level of, of the people. And, and so the prospects for long-term instability um, are, are severe. And, and it, it's too early to talk about the post-war situation because the war is still going on. Uh, but the longer it goes on, the harder it becomes to see a, a path towards um, normalcy, if you will. So are you saying that even though there may be Russian protests in the street over Ukraine and Russians getting arrested, um, it isn't Ukrainian hate and disillusionment isn't just focused in Vladimir Putin. So if like Vladimir Putin were gone right. tomorrow, there would still be, be this ill will that exists long term. It isn't just focused on yeah. the head of the snake. Not at all. Uh, you talk to any Ukrainian, uh, whether in the country or, or one who has fled, uh, and what they will talk about is the Russian people are behind this. The Russian people support this. The Russian people are conducting this war. The Russian people are allowing this war. And that is out of anger. Uh, but there is a, it is also understandable because the people they see uh, occupying their villages are committing uh, mass atrocities against their own people 
including mass murder, uh, genocidal behaviors. Uh, those are Russians in the main. Uh, and how are the Ukrainian people supposed to feel about that? And this isn't the first time uh, that Ukraine has experienced uh, this kind of violence from the direction of Russia. Uh, yeah. The last time was before the Second World War, uh, but but it was it was horrible, and, and it was genocidal then. Uh, oh. So it is very difficult to see uh, how Ukrainians will be able to trust in in that behemoth neighbor uh, that that one way or another they have to they're going to have to coexist with. Uh, so instability is going to last for a very long time there. Uh, and it's we, a tricky situation that the rest of the world will have to figure out how to how to handle. Yeah, uh, we are talking with Professor Joel Ostro, um, who's an expert on Russia from Benedictine University. We have callers who want to join our conversation, but we have to take a quick break. We will be back with those calls right after this. Take Jonas Pazito live, local, and progressive with you on the go by using the TuneIn app on your phone. Just search for WCPT eight twenty. This is WCPT 820, where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. And I'm joined by political science professor Joel Ostro from Benedictine University. He has an expertise in Russia, democratic failure, and the rise of authoritarianism. A number of callers have been waiting to join our conversation, so let's get to the phone lines uh, Ron is calling in from Michigan. Hey, Ron, you're on with me and Professor Hi. Joel Ostro. Hi, Joan. Hello, Professor. First of all, you, you uh, said you should get uh, Orion Samuelson on as a expert. You know, he still calls high fructose corn syrup a healthy food. So be careful. Uh-oh. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but uh, but my point is, and this is from the New York Times. I believe it was General Schultz. I'm not. I think he was our general or NATO general. But he was in charge of shipping uh, equipment over the border to Ukraine. And he said, once it goes over the border, we don't really have any control where it goes. We don't know. Well, we do know it's killing Russians. That's true, number one. But how many of those weapons are being siphoned off? In every war, weapons are being siphoned off by people who want to sell it, people who want to bring it home to for their insurrection the next time so they have the most sophisticated weapons to shoot down our helicopters or tanks. Because I talked to a former Israeli ambassador, and he said when Libya fell, a NATO uh, exercise, and all those weapons after Gaddafi was killed went all over. They could, Israelis could not fly over Gaza because they had the latest anti-aircraft weapons. So, when, you know, all these weapons going over, and Zelensky saying, I want more, more, more. You know, when, when, when is it, it's never going to be enough until the U.S. military, the Marines are in there to take back that land. And God forbid that, because the atomic bombs will fly way before that. Ron, thank you for that. I agree with the last point. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah, I agree that it won't. That we're not sending our NATO military in, uh, but I don't think that's that's going to be the only way it ends. Uh, to the to the main uh, concern you suggested, and, and you're absolutely right. Uh, in most conflicts, that uh, some of those weapons have been siphoned or fallen into the wrong hands. I mean, look what happened in Iraq when ISIS uh, rolled in and took over part of the territory, right? And and in Afghanistan, years ago, um, al-Qaeda managed to, to, and and the Taliban uh, took over first Soviet weaponry and then ours. Uh, There is no evidence, though, that that is happening 
in this case. Number one, all of the weapons shipments are going through NATO territory into Ukraine. Uh, So our closest allies are involved in this. Uh, And there are no entities in Ukraine looking to siphon weapons off to take them elsewhere unless those entities are Russian. And the way the deliveries are going, they are not going near Russian territory to begin with. Uh, and they are being used against Russians. So I've I've read no reports and heard no even inkling that anything of that sort was happening. Uh, uh, I think it is the nature of uh, the geography and the nature of the conflict that uh, that is um, uh, protecting against that worry uh, now and for this foreseeable future. Um, but a, a really good point uh, and, and certainly applicable to almost all arms shipments. Uh, in large quantities in the past. Um, Ron, thank you for that call. Let's go back to the phone lines. Dave is calling in from Hoffman Estates. Dave, you're on with Professor Joel Ostro and me. Go ahead. Hey, Joan. Hey, Professor. Um, I just read a story where the Russia is recruiting U.S. trained Afghan commandos. Where these Afghan. What, what did you say, Dave? I missed that. Re- re- Who's, Russia what? is re, Russia is recruiting Afghan commandos that we trained mm-hmm. mm. Afghan special forces soldiers who fought alongside our troops, then fled to Iran after chaotic U.S. withdrawal last year, are being recruited mm-hmm. by the Russian military to fight in the Ukraine. Three former Afghan generals told the AP, "They say the Russians want to attract." The thousands of former elite Afghan commandos into a foreign legion with offers of steady $1,500 a month payments and promises of safe havens for themselves and their families so they can avoid deportation home to what many assume would be a death at the hands of the Taliban. And they don't really want to go, but they ain't got no choice. It's kind of like a, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't. And uh, they're being... The recruiting is being led by the that mercenary force, the Wagner Group. So, the, anyway, that you know, we I, well, I haven't read anything I, about I that. Afghans, but, <clears throat> but they certainly have recruited from Syria, uh, and and it hasn't gone so well uh, for for those fighters. The Wagner Group is taking heavy, heavy, heavy losses, and is not doing well. Uh, yeah. And if you think about it, I don't know how much I would trust those. U.S. trained commandos from Afghanistan, if I were on the Russian side, those folks could cause a lot of damage, too. So, uh, um, yeah, I, I don't know how many of those there will be. I don't know how much of a difference they'll make. And I would think that uh, Russian forces might be a little wary uh, because Russia doesn't exactly have a stellar reputation in Afghanistan either. Um, thanks for that. Go ahead, Dave. Oh, Okay. Um, Dave made a point that I did want to talk to you about. You know, we were reading about the protests in Russia. They reinstituted the draft. Young men, you know, flooding the borders, trying to get into Finland. Um, all kinds of uh, problems there, recruiting. But, you know, when it first happened, I read about it. I haven't read about much of it since. What is your understanding of what is going on? Who is who is fighting this war for Russia these days, Professor? Well, if you're asking about the protests, uh, there aren't many. uh, It has not been sustained, and there's no evidence of any widespread protest. Uh, um, A lot of those who were uh, recruited fled the country. Um, By most 
accounts that I've read, uh, at least 30 percent or actually one third of the 300,000 got out. Um, about 25 to 30 percent more uh, have gone in hiding uh, and have or have simply refused. Uh, and so thus, uh, the search for for mercenaries continues. Uh, the uh, the ones who did end up going into service were pressed into service with almost no training. Uh, many sent to the battlefield without even helmets uh, or oh. um, and um, on average, about three days of uh, training on an artillery range and then sent to the front, uh, basically uh, cannon fodder. That seems an unsustainable model. I, you know, I call me crazy. I don't know much about, you know, military supplies that, you know, we talked about how most of their equipment they can't repair. They're having trouble Mm -hmm. getting people to the country. Mm -hmm. Doesn't this whole thing collapse at some point, some some point soon? Well, we don't know is uh, what what their artillery supplies are deep within Russia and how much. Uh, Putin will be willing to devote to strictly this conflict uh, because that could leave Russia quite weak in other areas. Uh, so that, that that's a wild card. There's, they certainly are capable of, of manufacturing, um, you know, lower tech munitions, um, uh, bombs and the sort. Uh, it's the more higher tech uh, guided rockets and and. Uh, air-to-air missiles to defend their fighter planes that, that, that it'll be more difficult for them to produce. So, um, Well, you know, as is typical, Joel, there was, there was a whole list of things I wanted to talk to you about, and um, we didn't get past Ukraine, but there was a lot to talk about here. Thank you so much for joining us. It is always a pleasure to talk to with you. Anytime. Okay, happy to join thanks. anytime, and we can cover the other stuff next time. There you go. Um, Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez is up next. Thanks to Andy Miles for doing a bang-up job with traffic today. I'm going to see you tomorrow. I'm going to be out in Grundy County. If you're uh, in the vicinity of the Grundy County Democratic Headquarters in Morris, Illinois, come see me. Have a great evening. Good night.